to understand why can't you relax? What, what's happening in your mind that's getting you all riled up? What is that? Why? What's happening? Because that's the same mind that you have in your daily life. If you can't sit still to meditate, that means all day long you're doing this. All day long you can't sit still. All day long I need to distract or else I don't know what, that dread of just being here because they haven't yet made an experience that showed them that the present moment is safe, that the present moment is full and bountiful and beautiful and magical and enough. It's like trauma, right? It's like we're in like collective trauma where, where we, we don't trust that, that everything's okay and that this moment's enough and that we're fine and that I can just sit here and drink my water and just smile and relax and everything's okay. Welcome back to Unleash Thyself. I am your host, Constantine Morun, and with me today I have Seth Monk. Seth is a former Buddhist monk of eight years, Siddha healer, international retreat leader, love activator, spiritual practitioner, and guide. Prepare yourself for a beautiful and unpredictable conversation that's sure to leave a lasting impression. Welcome back to Unleash Thyself, the podcast that inspires and empowers you to unleash your full potential. I am thrilled to welcome Seth Monk to the show. Seth, we can't wait to hear more about the experiences and insights that have led you to where you are today and your unleashed moment, the moment you knew you are on your own path to becoming the best version of yourself. Seth, the floor is yours. Thanks so much. Yeah, hi, everybody. It's so nice to be here. Thank you, Constantine. This is a cool platform this is really great i first want to like give some appreciation to my brother here for following his heart and following his dream and creating this out of the goodness of his feeling of purpose you know and and i think that's really inspirational for all of us just to just to do the thing you know just to try the thing out to do the thing to to give into the world what really feels meaningful to us so i just want to acknowledge you and appreciate you and thank you for being a model for thank all of so us and how to follow our dreams right uh my background's not that different than most of yours, just kind of grew up in, in suburban America and Massachusetts near Boston, had a, a fairly normal childhood. Definitely started my spiritual journey early though, in, in terms of, I used to really sense a lot of things, I would say. I'd sense presences in my room and I would have kind of psychic experiences. And so from a young age, I, I kind of knew there was more going on in this world that wasn't talked about. But, you know, none of that really came together until in college I started meditating and learning about chakras and crystals and got my Reiki attunement and took mushrooms for the first time and kind of just all these different things all came at once and uh, really opened up my mind. And, and it was the first time. So I think I was like 18 where I like the word spirituality kind of first came into my mind. I was like, oh, like that's a that's a thing. Spirituality is a thing that I can pursue. Right. It's not religion. It's not art. It's not physics. It's not you know, spirituality is it's an actual existing structure and framework and concept that I can connect with and learn from. So I, I met a Buddhist monk actually that same year. And so I started practicing more heavily in the direction of Buddhism. I liked that it was really structured. I liked that there was an understanding to it. I liked that there was concrete practices to follow. This was in, you know, 2001. It was, it was exciting. You know, it was an exciting time of my life exploring this, opening up virtually for the first time, learning so much so quick. And it's a journey, you know, that, that I'm still on, right? That's never left me. Yeah. You know? And uh, so, yeah, throughout college, just continued this process of, of learning and growing and developing. And then when I graduated in 2005, I went to a Buddhist monastery. So it was actually the monastery of the monk that came to my school. I went to visit. And he's a Vietnamese monk living in Germany. And so I went to this Vietnamese monastery in Germany. And I thought I would be gone for like two weeks. I told my mom, you know, I'll be back in like two or three weeks. And I stayed there for eight years. So I ended up not leaving. <laughs> and kept you there for that long? Or was it like kind of like building on itself and one year turned into two and two into yeah. three? And for sure. Also, yeah. I mean, I, I think that it was a combination of things. I think one thing is that I had a lot of things within myself that needed healing. So I really, I, I needed to do the work on myself, right? So it was like therapy, right? It's like I got to learn and grow and heal and understand. I, I felt pretty aimless and purposelessness, purposeless, purposeless leaving college. And so it was really like an opportunity just to, to find myself, you know, that, 
not to be too cliche, but yeah, like figure out who I am. And, and, and also it was fascinating. You know, I really, I was into, I was into like metaphysical stuff and new age stuff and occult stuff and paranormal stuff. And, and it, and it was just really cool. I was actually genuinely curious, you know, people have hobbies, some people's hobbies are cars, right? Or basketball or something or soccer, right? My hobby was actually spirituality. It was just, I was, I was curious and interested and it brought me joy to like learn about it and experience it and connect to things. So, so it was, it was easy for me. I just could naturally follow that path. And yeah, the more that I was there, the more I was like, wow, I get to live here for free and people, you know, give me food and I get clothes and I don't have to like worry about money and taxes and things, you know, I could just sit in one spot and work on myself and practice. It was like a dream. I was like, why not? Of course. Why isn't everybody doing this? Our center had a, a natural healing. So it was, it was massage and acupuncture and Chinese medicine. So uh, I got to learn a lot also about the body and, and the mind connection through Chinese medicine. And we led many retreats. So every weekend we had a retreat where we worked on different chakras, which are energy centers in the body that hold different emotional themes. So I really got to just like this really intensive deep dive for years, right? And really just getting to see everything from all these different sides and, and aspects and started leading retreats myself and teaching meditation myself and guiding different groups. And, you know, I led school groups for a while and then I moved on to normal aged people, if it were. And, and we started holding retreats for different teachers. So we would actually then have teachers come from Burma and teachers come from Australia and France. So we got to experience also all of these really enlightened, you know, Tibetan Zen Thai forest traditions and, and receive the teachings from all these different traditions and all these different teachers. And I got to practice right next to them, alongside them. I could ask them direct questions. I'd bring them their food and I'd sit with them and I'd, I'd listen as they were giving meditation interviews with other people. So I really got to learn from some of the best in the world. And I can say that confidently about how to meditate, what is Buddhism, what is, so really just got to well-rounded Buddhist education. We can drill into many parts of that Absolutely. conversation for sure. Yeah, no, I was going to say that's such an inspiring story. And it's, it's a not a story that you hear many people have, right? Like you're going away at such a young age, make such a big commitment to yourself, which is so beautiful to see. Yeah. And then continue on the journey until you say, you know what, I'm, I'm ready. And what made you so, well, drill into the meditation piece and your learnings. But I'm curious, why eight years? What? What happened at the end of that? Like, did you say, you know what, I've done all the work now. It's time for me to take some of my teachings and, and help more people while I continue to work on myself. Sure. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of feel like most things in life are a lot of things. Most decisions we make actually come from many different places at once. <laughs> so on, on one hand, I felt like my time in the monastery, I just, I, I felt like I'd kind of hit a ceiling a little bit. Like I didn't feel like I was growing and learning that much. I was beginning to lose confidence in the, the teacher that was there. And I just, it was just slowly this feeling like I don't need to be in this place anymore. And so actually as a monk, I, I went to India and then I lived as a monk in India and did that and then went to Australia and to a, a monastery there and really got deep into the meditation journey directly. And that was like really powerful and beautiful, but I, I was already kind of like, in my mind and heart, starting to transition out of, of the monk phase, I guess I could say. So, you know, I, I really got these last few really amazing, powerful, intense experiences of what is real meditation? What does it look like? What does it feel like? And I remember just this one time where I was in just in this really deep meditation. I was in Australia, I mean, with one of the best, you know, I would say meditation teachers in the world, like this amazing monk, Acham Brahm. And after the meditation, you know, I'd sit there for hours, three hours, and just be in bliss, and everything felt good, and the mind was collapsing in itself, and it was exciting and blissful and powerful. And, and I remember just getting up from the meditation and just walking and doing my walking meditation. And, and then it was nighttime, and I, I looked out in the distance, and we were like up on this hill near Perth, and, and I could see really far in the distance these lights, this like string of lights in the night. And I knew that those were all homes, right? Way, way, way off in the distance. <laughs> and I thought about all the people in all those homes, you know, and I knew that in some of those homes right now, there's people that are depressed In some of those homes, there's people that are probably in abusive relationships. I felt that, you know, some of those homes, there's people that really are suffering a lot. And I'm sitting here smiling, happy, getting my food, just chilling out in the outback. And, 
just living in this bliss. And I looked and I just felt, I just felt that situation. And I said, how can I do this? How, what is my peace? What is my enlightenment actually bringing to the people out there that need help? And, and I had this very clear moment where I, I just kind of felt in my heart that, I don't know, that it doesn't feel right. I, I, of course, need to love myself and take care of myself and grow and develop myself. And, and yes, yes, yes. And I have done that and I'm still doing that. But I kind of reached the point where I, I just felt like I need to be of service in the world. I, I, need to, I, I need to share what I've learned. I need to support others. My path involves b- being in the world and helping people directly with standing next to them, not meditating off in the distance. So slowly I, I transitioned out of being a monk and went back to Boston and, and actually started working in schools. So I was working then with students directly, uh, middle schools and then high schools. And then I started leading things for the teachers, <laughs> helping the teachers meditate. And then I led retreats, weekend retreats for teachers. And then whole school systems kind of would come and meditate with me. And then I started working at MIT in Boston, which is this really great university. And they had me also teaching to the, the teachers and the students there. And, and that was fascinating because I was working in like the, the high school and they're saying, we, we want you to work with the kids who have bad grades. They're saying, come and work with the kids who, who are kind of failing out of their classes. You know, we, we worry about them. They're troubled, right? The troubled kids. And I was like, okay. And then I go to MIT and they said, hey, we're having a problem. There's kids that are killing themselves or committing suicide. There's too much stress. Can you help them? And I was like, but in the high school, those are the kids that are getting the straight A's. Those are the best kids in class. And in the schools, they're saying, no, those kids are fine. Deal with the kids getting bad grades. But then I follow the path of the top of the top of the top kids. And they're also struggling. And they're also committing suicide. And I said, okay, it's everywhere. It's not just the bad kids. It's not just the ones that look like they're struggling. Everybody is struggling. Everybody. Doesn't matter. Sometimes even the most successful people are the ones struggling the most because of the pressure. You just, you can't tell, you never know. You can't judge from the outside. This needs to be done everywhere. So I started teaching a lot of meditation around Boston, different communities, different yoga studios, through, through different towns. I worked with towns directly and started teaching. And I also, when I was in India, I learned a form of energy healing called Siddha healing, S-I-D-D-H-A. It's not very well known. And so another thing that I did on the side was my weekend gig was that I would sit in yoga studios and there'd be people laying down on the floor and I'd channel energy at them for an hour and and create almost like psychedelic spiritual experiences for everyone it was really fun it was also exciting and cool and i did that for about five years and had like a the following it was like it was great it was a lot of fun but eventually i just felt why am i even in boston it's because it's where i'm from i was born there my my mom was still there and eventually i I had this feeling like i'm not here because i want to be here i'm here by default almost so i i actually left and i moved to california had some journeying Northern California down to Tulum, kind of moved around a bit. And, and currently I, I'm in LA, found myself in Los Angeles. While here, I've started working at like a treatment center and working with people who are like residential inpatients that had depression, anxiety, traumas, different things. And, and that was a fascinating journey of seeing how clinically people are treated. I learned it spiritually. And now I'm like, okay, how did they do it clinically? And what does therapy and therapists look like? And what's that setting? And I I learned a lot from doing that. And simultaneously, I saw the limitations and I saw the, the, yeah, the, you know, it was still just kind of like Western mythologies. It was still just one way of doing things. And, and there's, you know, a whole other, <laughs> there's so many, actually. Every culture actually has many different ways of healing and, and growing and working with people. So, so I just, I saw both, right? I saw, I saw the benefits of that. And I also saw that there's just a lot of, a lot of weakness to that structure. And so I'm, I'm not working there anymore. And, and currently, actually, my schedule is, is fairly free. So at this moment, I've kind of stepped away from a lot of things. I teach meditation in a few places, and I'm, I'm leading a retreat to India. We're, we're leaving actually in like seven days. So I'm, I'm about to lead a group to India for two weeks and connecting them to spiritual places. And that's something I like doing, show people the things that I've seen right now. So, you know, bringing people on like parts of my journey it's it's beautiful for me to share those things that i got to experience but also to just watch them light up and and just see india work its magic on everyone and and its magic can be 
difficult magic or it can be magical magic. It goes both ways. That's kind of where you find me today. This is where this is where. Oh, what, what, a, what a story. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So many questions. But I, I would like to go back to the beginning. You're talking about that early on in life, you started your spiritual journey and then you met a monk, which essentially set you on this path. And then you, you started meditation. How young were you when you first discovered meditation? You know, it's, it, this is one of those strange things, Constantine. Like when I look back over my life, I realized that my dad used to meditate with me when I was like six or seven. That my dad was into transcendental meditation because he had a lot of like anxiety and stuff. So I remember him like having me like lay down on the couch and he lay on the other couch and he played the saying that's like, now you relax your feet and now you're like, and only like years later, I mean, I think maybe even after I left the monastery, I was like, wait a minute, like. I used to meditate with my dad when I was a kid. I didn't even realize that. So I, I guess it's been in my fields in my life for a while in some form. But officially, I really started meditating in college. So I started meditating when I was 18, 10 minutes a week. It was every, I did like every Thursday night at seven o'clock. I would, I just had one time a week. I, I took my bedroom in college and I, I went to like Home Depot and I got like a little piece of carpet and I got like a little salt lamp and a little cushion and I made like a little corner that was my meditation corner for my bedroom. And just once a week for 10 minutes, I would just sit in that spot. And honestly, it started transforming my life. Just those little drops of, of that space was super powerful. So um, how did it transform your life? Like what were some of the changes you were noticing? It started creating space within myself. I wasn't so reactive to things. I felt lighter. I felt like when you meditate, it gives you also time to like process things. Like I was out, I was talking to people a lot, I listened to music, I was partying. So I was always TV, right? So I was always being stimulated and I had a lot coming in, coming in. And I realized like when you meditate, it gives you the opportunity to like process your thoughts, process your feelings, Ooh. let things kind of move through, kind of cleans the mind, right? It's like brainwashing, but actually it's like washes out your brain. Yeah. of all the stuff like the short-term memory like it all gets to get processed through and then eventually like that stuff moves through and then some of the deeper things maybe the things that you're working on like for a month or a year like the bigger issues start to come through and then you also have time to process those and then eventually you also get to this place where there's you you don't have anything else to process for now right that at this moment there's nothing else that's urgently needing to be looked at and then there's like this space and this and this relaxation and uh, this peace, this, this contentment, which I, I, this is like one of the more difficult things to explain for some reason for me. But I, I've realized that anything that I've, I've ever done in my entire life and anything I've tried to do, I was always just chasing this feeling of contentment, this mm. feeling of oneness, this feeling of connection, whether it's eating, whether it's sex, right? whether it's music, whether it's activities, whether it's events. We're always trying to get a feeling. Everything we do actually is based on a feeling. It's wanting, it's wanting to get a feeling or wanting to not have a feeling that we already have. It's either <laughs> wanting a feeling or not wanting a feeling. It's actually that simple. Your whole life, you could look at your whole life, and it's just about feeling good and trying to not feel bad. You could trace your whole day. You wake up in the morning. You need to pee because it's painful, right? So you go and you pee, and then you're, you need to eat because you're hungry, and you eat. And then you go to work because you're afraid you need money and you need that. So that feels like security, right? And that, so it's like, you could trace your whole day and watch how everything you do, it's just trying to move to the next feeling that feels like it's what you want to be feeling and in, in bigger senses and in immediate senses as well. Right. And when I experienced that real contentment in myself, that to realize that we have that ability that I can just sit here and smile and poof, just be at peace. And everything is good and everything is perfect and the world is okay and I'm okay. And, and it, it just feels healthy and it feels energizing. And, and I feel like the brain, like, it's like you go to the gym to get the body strong, but I feel like meditation is what makes the mind strong. That when you sit in that peace, the mind just starts to, it just starts to really get present and healthy and happy. And, and it's beautiful. It's free <laughs> and it's right here. And it's just about doing it. But it's crazy because everything in our lives, everything in our society, the, the movement of technology, the movement of society, it's moving away from that. Everything around us 
is moving us towards stimulation, towards being in a screen instead of being in our bodies, right? It's like everything is, is moving us away from that center point. So it's almost this like battle that's happening now where it's like, you know, back in the day, like people were just farmers and they lived in nature and they did stuff. And, and there was, of course, things to be distracted with as always. But there was definitely more of a sense of just presence in oneself. And I even <laughs> saw that in my own lifetime. Like I grew up, I didn't have a cell phone. They didn't exist yet. And I watched how like our generation had the, the blessing to see what life was like before technology kind of and, and how that's shifted really quickly. Meditation, I think, it, it made like a wave through our culture. It came through and people, everyone knows about it. Everywhere that I've gone in this country so far, I have found still meditation classes in general not being super well attended. I am asked to teach meditation in schools and universities and in companies, but they don't want to pay that much for it. That meditation, although it's like the answer, to so much of what's happening right now, there's still, it's still, I feel not quite right, that it's still relatively new. People are still checking to see how effective is it? Is it a fad? Is it going to go? Is it going to stay? There's now a lot of scientific studies that say, yes, meditation can be as effective as medication for working with pain can be as effective as medication for working with anxiety and depression, that, that medic, meditation can do a lot of things that actually our medical system does. <laughs> if, if one were to learn how to do it and take the time. But again, because our society is so geared externally, we in ourselves feel empty. We in ourselves feel empty and lost and and irritable this like base level irritation which is why you pick up your phone in the morning which is why you do things you just feel this irritation that makes you have to do a thing to meditate you have to go through that feeling you have to sit with things that are not comfortable to sit with you have to start confronting yourself and making peace with things and what happens though and it's the same like again going to the gym it's like lifting weights is hard it's like it's like it's weight it's not pleasant but it becomes but the more you do it the better it feels and then you start to feel you're getting stronger and you're like oh my god i love this right and people then love going to the gym meditation is the same way it's like once you start it's a little bit tricky and difficult and painful but as you do it and you start to feel its effects and you start to feel how good you feel and how good it feels you start to light up and you do it then because you love it because you feel it's like eating healthy it's like you suddenly feel how good it feels so then you want to do more of it. You're doing it because it feels good and it's like exciting and it feels healthy. It's not like a chore or a task. It's like, wow, like this is, what was I doing before? You know, it's like you can't remember life before. So much to unpack that as well, but so many great points you touched on because it feels like I'm looking at myself, right? I've started this <laughs> different forms of meditation, trying things out. And it is that for me, the biggest challenge was sitting with my own thoughts and you touched on this, right? Because it's uncomfortable. I think it's much easier, like you said, pick up the phone and be distracted from your own thoughts or do something where you give your way your power to something else. And then you don't have to worry about the things you said, the things you think, the, and everything that you've done in your life. And then all of a sudden, it's just like, let someone else take care of that. But meditation, like you said, brings us in to do the work ourselves. Now, from what you've seen from the people you've helped begin on this journey, when does it become easier for most people? Is it after a couple of sessions of meditation? So let's say a few days. Does it take longer for some than others? Like, what have you seen? Like, what can we tell our audience and say, you know what? Give this a shot. Try meditation for a week or two or whatever it is that we think it might give you the benefit to at least let you try some more. Yeah. Something that I sometimes tell people is to, to try the, the seven-day meditation challenge. Okay. Meditation challenge. The seven days. That's easy enough. I mean, seven days is not long. Easy enough. Every day this week for 10 minutes, for 10 minutes, look in your schedule. Where do you have 10 minutes, right? Is it when you wake up? Is it before you go to bed? You could do it in your car. You could like drive to work. And when you get to work, you sit in your car. When you drive home, you sit in the car. You get to work. You go in the office and then you sit down. Where do you have just a 10 minute block of time 
that every day for the next seven days, just for seven days, just to try to experiment, to have fun, to explore for these next seven days, 10 minutes, which is nothing, right? Which is nothing. If you're honest, everyone's on their phone for at least a couple hours, right? Where you just sit and you just breathe and you just feel your body breathing. That simple. And you just feel whatever feelings are there, whatever thoughts are there, and you just sit with your eyes closed and you breathe and you just let the thing happen. No expectations, no good and bad, no right and wrong. You're not trying to do anything. You're just sitting with yourself and breathing for 10 minutes a day for one week. Guaranteed you will notice a shift. Guaranteed. With one week, you'll understand just a little bit, but you'll understand what this is about. As far as like your question, how long, it's, there's no, there's some people that sit to meditate and boom, they got it. There's people that take years. But the thing is, it's just your own mind. If you're struggling with meditation, it's because you're struggling with yourself in your own mind. If meditation comes easy for you, it's because in your mind, you're pretty easy with yourself. It's, yeah, it's easy, right? I meditated as a monk, right? So I was in the monastery in Germany for eight years. I would say for the first six years, I didn't know how to meditate. I, I sat for hours doing something, you know, trying to get peaceful and it and and it took me until i spoke to a meditation teacher this achim brahm this monk that i met and i told him like what's happening and he said well it's like you're trying to meditate but why not just relax he's like why not just forget about meditating this idea this thing called meditation and just relax and i suddenly realized I was meditating to try to become more peaceful. But, but what that meant was that I was not feeling peaceful and I was fighting against that feeling of not peace in myself, right? And I was trying to get this thing called peace, which wasn't here, but exists somewhere in the future. And so I would sit there trying to get something that's not here right? Trying to get this thing that, it, that I think exists called peace that's out there that I want for myself. And at some point, I kind of realized if meditation is about being present in the present moment, what I was doing was the exact opposite. I was rejecting the present moment. I was telling the present moment that it wasn't good enough. It wasn't what I wanted. It was too painful. I wanted to escape. I wanted something else. I was meditating with, <laughs> with desire. I was meditating with rejection of my own experience, wanting something else. Yeah. So it's like we said earlier, it's like you had an expectation going in, right? It was like expecting something. Or wanting at least. Or wanting, yeah. Or, you know. Yeah. And, and so it took me years to suddenly realize that in myself. And then the day that I saw that and I said, you know, like I pulled that veil from my eyes. And I said, hey, instead of trying to get something through meditation, how about you just hear? How about you just breathe and relax and allow this to happen and this to be enough and there's nothing to do and there's nowhere to go and just, it's okay. Like whatever happens is fine. Suddenly everything could just sink and relax and it felt so good. For you, it was a transition pretty much like from day to the, from one day to the next? As soon as you had the realization, the teacher? From, from one moment to the next. After years. It just took that one moment to, and then the whole thing collapsed. And then my meditations were incredible after that. And what I also saw is that, again, the mind of meditation is also the mind of your daily life. Because in my meditation, I could see eventually that I was constantly rejecting the present moment, that I constantly wanted something else that wasn't here. Guess what? That's what I was doing all day long. Whoa. That same mind that I was using for meditation is the same mind that I was using in my daily life. So meditation is fascinating because it shows you yourself. It shows you these deep underpinnings, these mechanisms of your mind that you're just going with. You don't even recognize them. Like in cartoons, there's like the angel and the demon on like the shoulder and they're talking yeah. and they're fighting and the character's like, uh-huh. That, that's real. We, we have these voices that we call our thoughts and they think in our head and we, and we nod along and we believe them and we think that our thoughts are us and we do what they say 
or don't do what they say. And we don't like the things they tell us not to like. And we, and, and we never realize like, whoa, like I don't have to believe all of my thoughts. Like I don't even agree with most of my thoughts. Like that doesn't represent me and who I am. Like both of these guys get off of here. Like that's, you know, and, and it's just that the more you meditate, the more you start to peel away these subtle levels of perception and you start to see how you've been stuck and you start to see your own, um, the way that you've been hurting yourself and others and you haven't even realized it. You see your own ignorance, we say in Buddhism. And so meditation far being just as people think it's like this process where I'm going to sit and relax and that's it. And a lot of people tell me they can't meditate and they're bad at meditating. So they don't even try. Most people feel meditation is intimidating for them. I'm seeing more and more. It feels scary and intimidating and they're like, I can't do it. I'd rather go to a sound bath, rather go to yoga, rather drink some wine. I'd rather do something else. Watch Netflix, right? It's intimidating because they sit and they can't relax and, and they don't realize that that's part of the journey to understand why can't you relax? What, what's happening in your mind that's getting you all riled up? What is that? Why? What's happening? Because that's the same mind that you have in your daily life. If you can't sit still to meditate, that means all day long you're doing this. All day long you can't sit still. All day long I need to distract or else I don't know what, that dread of just being here because they haven't yet made an experience that showed them that the present moment is safe, that the present moment is full and bountiful and beautiful and magical and enough. It's like trauma, right? It's like we're in like collective trauma where, where we, we don't trust that, that everything's okay and that this moment's enough and that we're fine and that I can just sit here and drink my water and just smile and relax and everything's okay. Everything around us is messaging us, the news, media, right politics like it's all messaging us fear and problems and buy the things and do the things and we're in this container and in america especially where we're kind of constantly being bombarded with these messages and vibrations that 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 keep us feeling uneasy and agitated reading the newspaper drinking the coffee right stimulation problems like like it it creates this vibration collectively that we're in and it's not healthy in it and it and it moves us farther and farther away from feeling safe and at home and at peace within ourselves within each moment and that's also how we can take our power back once you feel good in yourself you don't need to buy a bunch of shit you don't need to i'm not afraid <laughs> i'm not running on fear i'm not running on lack i'm not running on like i'm just everything's okay like i'm good like i'm flowing like I, things come into my life and they go and Sure, I'm a human being. I have human emotions. Of course, I become afraid at times. Like things happen, of course. But like my overwhelming driving energy is actually one of love <laughs> right now. It's one of connection. It's one of playfulness and enjoyment in life. I'm actually very happy in my life right now. And there's been times in my life where I could not say that. There's many people listening who cannot say that. Like I am very happy in my life. And I mean that truthfully. And, and that's the journey. If, if you're not becoming happier, then what are you doing? What's the job for? What's the family for? What's the, if you're not getting happier, then what are we doing? Yeah, then you're going in the wrong direction. And I know people out there, it's easier said than done, or well, you don't have the problems I have, whatever. We can defend our situation all day long. We can, we can validate ourselves for being miserable as much as we want. But at some point, we all have to decide that I'm responsible for myself, for my happiness. I have to take ownership of my internal state. And I have to figure out what steps I can make, big or small, to start moving in that direction of happiness that I feel better and better and better about myself and my life situation and about the world, about everything. Yeah. Yes, I resonate with that 100%. It took me a while to get the realization, but it's such, the way you described it earlier, it's kind of like the veil was lifted. Once you give it a hum moment, you're like, okay, so I don't have to be angry about everything. I don't have to try to control things that I cannot control. Yeah. Let's go inwards. Let's do more, more with what we have right now and, and, and see where it takes us. Yeah. And when you were teaching meditation in, in schools, whether you had the chance to teach from all age groups and of course, professors yeah. and teachers, what were some of the biggest surprises for you, good or bad, what you were seeing in the people that were taking it seriously and attending and, and, and participating in this? I was actually surprised by how well-received it was, especially in schools. And I mean, I blew the minds of all of the teachers. 
because I would be going into classrooms, middle school classrooms for years, right? Kids that never would sit still. Kids that would, kids that did all day long, 30 kids in a class, they're fighting with the teacher and this whole thing and it's loud, noisy. And I would go into the room and I would look at the kids and I would talk to them like they were people. I wouldn't be this authoritarian. I would just talk to them. I would say, what's up guys? Like, what are you guys, how are you doing? Like, what are you all learning about? How's that feel? Cool. Like I'm Seth, I was a monk. Do you know what that means? Do you have any questions? What do you know? And I would just share with them. And eventually I'd be like, well, if you guys want, I mean, I don't know, but if you're interested, like there's this thing meditation, I'd love to show you, but if, you know, if you want, and they'd be like, yeah, yeah, let's, you know. And then I'm just suddenly in this room and I like look over and the teacher's just like, what? Like, and all the kids are just sitting silently smiling, you know? And just that everyone was like super receptive. And honestly, it was also clear that with the kids that maybe felt uncomfortable, they'd like open their eyes and like look around. And, and you could see that how good you are at meditation, how much it works for you. It, so much of it just depends on how willing you are to try it, how open you are to it working. That, that, you know, especially as I worked with adults and stuff, you could see that if people's minds were closed to the idea that they could maybe meditate, that meditation maybe could work for them, that this thing, just that openness to try was all I needed. If I can get the crack in the, crack in the dam, I can break the dam down. <laughs> right. So, so I was really, I was just, yeah, I was surprised at how well it worked, especially for kids, but it has to be done correctly. It can't be another thing that's forced on them, like everything else in their lives, right? It, when it's done from a really genuine, organic place, they were, they wanted to do it, right? Um, and I actually became a substitute teacher for a little while. And I, I worked in this classroom for a month and I had six, seventh and eighth grade kids. And I would come in and they'd say, Seth, Seth, like, can we meditate this morning? I was like, sure, you know, and and I would sit and meditate, right? And they started asking for it because they were like, oh, this is actually like nice and fun. And like, it was like very, you know, in the school, we do the Pledge of Allegiance and then we do the moment of silence. And I was like, this is the real moment of silence, right? It's like every school should have an actual moment of silence, which isn't just two seconds of whatever, but it should be like a five minute thing at the beginning of every day where they just sit and breathe and just become present with themselves and and I could even see the difference in how the kids behaved all class if they took that 10 minutes at the beginning. So I really saw a lot of places in American culture that meditation could fit, whether it was in the school, whether it was in the office, whether it was in the hospitals. I've, I've been to all the different layers and levels, and, and it fits everywhere in those places, but it all comes down to the willingness. It comes down to are people open to it working for them? And also, are people willing to dedicate time and resources to it? And that's the thing that I see that there is still kind of this like back and forth struggle with that. That, yeah, that's still not yet fully. People know now, I think everyone knows that meditation is good for them. But like how many people meditate? Like not many, still not that many. Very, 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 very small amount of people. So, so I really, I know, right? I don't even think or believe. I know that meditation works for everybody everybody can benefit in some way from doing meditation or meditative practices everyone's going to have a different way in <laughs> it's going to look different for a lot of people but i've sat with thousands of people and i can say that thousands of people meditated with them taught them all ages from literal like five-year-old four-year-old three-year-olds like little little kids group of little kids to working in senior centers and working with 80, 90 years year old. And I had a 90 year old woman come up to me after the class and took my hand and said, that's the calmest I've ever been my mind. I've never experienced my mind without thought is what she said. So beautiful. It was like 90. I said, like, how old are you? And she was like 95 or something. I was like, that's oh, wow. crazy. So it's like, it's for everybody. It's accessible. It's right here. You don't need, it doesn't cost anything. You don't have to go anywhere. It's like the stories of like the, the guy out looking for gold all of his life. And then eventually one day he just like gets frustrated and he's at home and he just throws the shovel down on the ground of his kitchen and it breaks the tile. And then suddenly there's like gold, like on the, like under his floor. Sure. It's like that thing. It's like the, the treasure. We were like living on top of the treasure but we're searching for it everywhere else, but it's like right here. <laughs> it's almost like for some people, it might be that the fact that it's free, the fact that it's easy, quotation marks, is what maybe scares people. It's like, no, I need to pay for something 
so I can have value. I need to go get out. It needs to be hard. Sure. Yeah, yeah. It's quite the opposite with this meditation. I know you said something really interesting at the beginning, well, somewhere at the beginning, you said that meditation is still new in the Western culture, right? Still, people don't know if it's a fad or if it's something that they should do. But funny enough, meditation is older than most of the things that we do in our life today anyway. Yeah. We just don't want to necessarily accept that or see it for what it is, which is right. what you said, do nothing, be in peace, allow your thoughts to go in and out and, and practice it. Now, do you say like, so right now for you, after leaving the monastery, I'm assuming you meditate every day. Do you have like a specific practice you follow or specific methods that work for you better than they did in the past or other methods that you did in the past? Yeah. So, yeah. So for those 10 years, so I meditated every day at the monastery, five in the morning, meditate for like an hour and then at night. And then we would do retreats where we would meditate for longer amounts of time. <laughs> and then there's like many different ways that it looked. And then, you know, so I did longer periods and short periods. And then when I left the monastery, it became more of like when it felt called to do it. So I kind of like let go of like that rigidity of like wake up at five and do that. Like, I was like that that doesn't actually work for me. <laughs> like I'm not that's not the kind of person that I am. So for me, yeah, it's more just like when I feel called to it. I mean, I teach meditation a lot too, which is great because I actually get paid to like all right now we close our eyes and feel our breath and I get to meditate <laughs> for like an hour. So it's actually a pretty good deal. And then also I just see like that I've integrated it into my mind in a way that throughout the day, like really just throughout the day and almost every interaction I have in a lot of situations within the situation already just be listening and processing and like doing that process like not needing to to wash my car when it's fully dirty it's cool because i really feel that it's it's really integrated into my mind and into my way of being when i meditate i can go very deep very quickly and i can also guide other people deep really quickly i've just i figured out the languaging i figured out the structure i figured out like over a lot of time and experience like what people need to just get there right away and yeah, I mean, my, my days are just very different. You know, I'm, I'm one of those people where, where I'm not like a routine kind of guy. I have like a schedule. I have lots of like meetings or appointments or I hang out or whatever I'm doing. And then I'm kind of just flowing through my day. And, and then there's these moments that I just take for myself and I drop in and I, you know, do it. And, and there's times where that can be like longer and there's times where that's just like little pockets throughout the day. So I personally do it more like organically. I love that answer as well because. That tells our audience and tells me as well that this doesn't have to be something you do, like you said, oh, you have to wake up at this hour and you do it every day to see benefit. Once you practice it enough, you can make it what you want out of it, right? Like whatever works for you personally is what you make of it. And if it's every other day, like you said, or like whenever you you, you hear the calling, perfect. And I really like yeah. that message. Yeah, and, and it's like anything. You take what you want from it. And of course, at the beginning, practicing it more and more and more is how you're going to learn it. Yes. Right. It's like, if you're learning piano, you can't just touch a piano every now and then you have to take lessons. <laughs> but then once you know how to play, you can just sit down at a piano after a month of not touching it and you can already play, you know how to play. Right. So it's one of those things. Once you learn how to do it, it becomes easier. I can also say all of the highest Buddhist meditation masters that I know, it's not like they don't need to meditate anymore because they've already done it and they figured it out. They're the ones that meditate the most. It's the opposite. You know, it's like when I'm with them, they're meditating most of the day. Like they're, they're going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper because they're on a mission. They're going in. And what's their mission, would you say? Like, why do you find that they need to meditate as much as they do despite being the best at it in the world? Well, like I said, A, it's just so blissful and pleasurable. It's actually like, what else is like, the, the, what else would you want to do, right? If you, could just, okay, yeah. if you could press a button and just feel infinite bliss, I'd go for that button, you know? So it's healthy, but also there's a lot of realizations that come from it that really the mind also really activates in a lot of really interesting ways. Yeah, th there's so much I can say about it, but but you really start to just see the structure of reality, the structure of the mind that, that they're still learning as well. Like as you're meditating, you're still processing and learning. But honestly, even if we go back to Buddhism, the Buddha, it talks about the Buddha going and sitting upright and closing his eyes and and it's not like, you know, now that I'm enlightened, I never have to sit anymore. It's, it's almost like, no, it's like that once you're enlightened, that's like your preferred state because you get to withdraw from all of your senses. You're not outward in the world anymore. You're inside of yourself and you're connecting to the bliss of the mind. They call it calm abiding, you know, because it's like, what if instead of scrolling through our phones or watching TV or having to like 
I don't know, do a lot of the things that we do. What if you could really just sit and smile and breathe and relax and almost like regenerate yourself, right? Like in movies, you see they have like regeneration chambers, like sci-fi movies, right? You, <laughs> you go inside and you press a button and it's like, <laughs> and you get like healed and you get refreshed. You know? What if we actually had like a regeneration mechanism in us? And so like when you've done the things you can do, you can just sit and relax and, and it just clears things out and harmonizes your whole system energetically. It's the same like going to the gym. You know, it's like if there's a guy and he's a professional bodybuilder, you're going to see him at the gym a lot. You know, if you see a guy that's a professional monk, he's going to be in the meditation hall a lot. Like that's exactly. just, that's the thing that they do. So you touched on alignment. What does it look like to you and what you've seen so far? Like what? I mean, we talked obviously about meditation and being in blissfulness. We covered that. But is there more to it that you'd like to add? Yeah, I mean, enlightenment, it's a it's kind of one of those things like I, I don't like talking about it because I'm I'm not enlightened in that sense. In the like I wouldn't call myself. I, I, I am enlightened in the sense that like I've learned a lot. I'm enlightened on certain topics and certain <laughs> aspects of reality. But I'm not, you know, completely free of this realm. I can't float, I can't do you know, whatever. <laughs> so yeah, so for me to talk about that, it's I'm talking with my own illusions and my own delusion and my own story and, and not from a place of knowing. So I, I generally don't talk about that, but I can also see the the path, right? I can see I can see where I was at the beginning and I can see where I was in the middle. I could see where I am now. And when you can see points moving in a direction, you can kind of follow along and see the direction it's going. So I can get a sense for what enlightenment is about. Yes. Let's say it that way, right? And no, I love that because you're, you're confirming something that, you know, most of us know deep down, but maybe don't want to always accept the idea that you never stop learning. You never stop growing. You never stop moving towards your destination, right? Like you can never get to a point and say, you know what? I've got this point. Now I'm fully enlightened. I've done all the work. Now it's just time to do nothing. Because well, in Buddhism, there is a full enlightenment. There is a point you get to where the work is done. This is what they say. There is a point. And there are teachers on earth right now that have reached that, that their students acknowledge that they're there, that they are there, that there's certain indicators. I'm not going to get into all of it, but yeah, of course, of course. But there is a point where you get to where at least that that part of the work is done. But for right? most of us, it's not the case, right? It's like for, for most of us. Yeah. Correct. For most of us, it's just, it's enough to move towards it. Yes. Yeah. And if you're moving towards love, if you're moving towards compassion, towards kindness, towards gentleness, towards lightness, if you're feeling more and more buoyant, right? Uh, th this is the direction to move in, right? That you feel more connected to positivity in yourself. Yeah. That you feel more connected to the world around you, that that there's that there's like this pervasive happiness and, and lightness and it's not necessarily be, i'm happy because i have the job or the it's not based on things it's it's a it's a general overwhelming happiness and lightness just based on your understanding and your ability to relate to life there's an easefulness to it as well right and then also something that i've just my own reflections which i didn't come to from like a Buddhist trajectory, but I think it probably all mi mixes together and, and meets, is I actually have an audio book that I wrote and then spoke into my phone and posted on Spotify. And it's called What If Everything Belonged? So it's 44 minutes long. You could listen to it like in a car ride. <laughs> so if you want to just, anyone listening wants to hear that book, I think it's like brilliant downloads that came through, right? But kind of the, the point of it, the book, was that I had this realization. It was like, look, if I were to zoom out, right? If I were to zoom, telescope, if I were to zoom outwards from the earth and zoom out more and more and more, and there's the Milky Way galaxy and then there's the universe, right? And you zoom out as far as you can zoom, everything you see would just be called the universe, okay? So that's all universe. Everything in front of me is the universe. So if I zoom now back in to Seth sitting here, that means, okay, Seth is the universe. The headphones of the universe, the thoughts of the universe, the sun is the universe, my, my consciousness is the universe, you are the universe, my computer is the universe, everything is universe, okay? 
So if you think about like the ocean, right? And there's waves on the ocean. All of those waves look different. They're all individual things, right? This wave looks this way. This wave looks that way. This wave is like that. But they're all just ocean. They're all just water. They all taste the same. They're all just salt water. It's all the same thing. It's all the same stuff. Just these different appearances. If all waves are just water, they're just ocean, all of us, we're just universe. It's all just this vibration. It's all the same stuff. We're all made of the same thing. Everything that you could possibly ever experience is still just the universe. So if that's true, that means that what reality is, what truth is, truth is unity. Truth is connection. Truth is oneness with an appearance of separateness. The waves appear to be separate but they're not separate, but they appear to be separate. They appear to be their own thing, but they're just, the water is doing this. We are just the universe doing this. Okay? So if this is all one, if this is all connected, if this is all the same thing, why do we experience ourselves as being separate? If connection and unity and oneness is truth, and we experience separation, I, I am Seth and I'm me and I'm here and I'm separate than you and different and I'm its own thing. That means I'm experiencing illusion or delusion. And if you think about even like for me, like I don't even know why, because like, I, but even like in the Bible, like eating the apple, like getting kicked out of the garden, it's like, <laughs> like at some point, you know, we have this moment where, where somehow we, I don't know how that happens, but we almost forgot the wave forgot that it was the ocean and it thought it was this wave, this big self-important wave, but it's just the ocean. It came out of everything. It's going to go back into everything. So if we are one, if this is oneness, if oneness is truth, unity is truth, but we experience ourselves as being separate, that means we're only experiencing ever in our entire lives, we're only experiencing illusion or delusion, which means that the spiritual path can only be about one thing. The spiritual path is the movement from the experience of separateness mm -hmm. to the experience of oneness. Wow. And that's it. That's, that's it. That's amazing. That's so wow. That's so deep. It's beautiful. And I, I I can't find the thing to disagree with you there because now that I think about it, I've never seen it or heard it said the way. But it's so beautiful. Yeah. And so that's it. So if you're moving towards an experience of connection, of unity, of oneness, and that's why things like love, kindness, compassion, sympathy, empathy, altruism, these actually, if you love somebody, the line between me and you, if I love you, I suddenly feel connected to you. Yes. We become, it creates like a oneness between us. So feelings that feel good, like love, actually bring us towards truth because oneness and love feel similar. So they're both true feelings like anger, resentment, hatred, loss, despair. Those feelings all are painful and they talk about separation, which we now know is fake. So our actual nervous system already knows this, that things that move us towards oneness feel good. Things that move us towards separation, illusion, feel painful. You could listen to your own body. Your own inbuilt nervous system is telling you, go that way, not that way. That's true. That's not true. It's already programmed into us to move towards the things that feel good or the things that feel connected. Yeah. So if I understand this correctly, then really the answer is pretty simple. Do more things that feel good. So be kinder, show more love, show more empathy. And then you get closer to exactly what you just said, right? To the oneness and to more of those things coming into your life because now you align with them. And the Buddha said there's four categories, right? There's things that are painful now and painful later. There's things that are painful now, but pleasurable later. There's things that are pleasurable now, but painful later. And there's things that are pleasurable now and pleasurable later. Okay? 
Mm-hmm. So things that are painful now and later, if I stab myself with a knife, it's going to hurt now, it's going to hurt later. Things that are painful now, but pleasurable later, it's like going to the gym. You're working out, it hurts hard, right? Starting to meditate, maybe it's a little uncomfortable, but then it opens up and it becomes good. It feels good. It starts to be pleasurable. It's good for you. There's things, and I'm bringing this up because what you said, there's things that, are, that feel good, that are pleasurable now, like getting drunk, but they're not going to feel good later, right? Yelling at somebody feels good in the moment. You feel right and just like, not good afterwards. Stealing something maybe feels good in that moment, doesn't feel good afterwards. So it's not just about following what feels good in that sense, but what feels good now and later, right? What feels good in the bigger sense of things? What, what makes your soul feel uplifted and lighter and happier and more relaxed and, more, and warm and connected? Positivity, that sort of thing is the direction to move toward. And you can pursue, if you want to go for enlightenment in this lifetime, go for it. Good for you. But if that's not your goal, whoever's listening, if that's not your goal, that's just move in that direction. Move towards it. Incline yourself towards. Do everything you're already doing, but just moving towards that. Moving towards that sense of connection, that understanding, that feeling, the experience of connection. If you just keep going more and more and more, you'll get there and you're going in the right way. Yeah, so that's, that's kind of the journey, right? And what a beautiful message to leave the audience with, right? That's so powerful, Seth. I just want to say before we continue here, like just thank you so much for your wisdom and for sharing this information. I, I mean, I'm learning so much myself. I find myself speechless at times as you go through these explanations and I can't imagine the people listening and watching this. I'm curious if you would entertain me. I have two types of questions I, I like to ask my guests at the end, and they have to do with time travel. If you were to be able to go back in time 10 years, right, and you meet your younger self 10 years ago, what's one piece of advice you would give yourself to help you, yourself out on the path or whatever the case might be? I'd probably tell myself to buy Bitcoin. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that would solve a lot of problems. Yes, yes. I think I would also look at myself and just, you know, put my hands on my shoulder and say, everything's going to be okay. Everything, you're, it's, you're, it's okay. You're doing what you're supposed to do. You're learning. You're going to be okay. And I like that, right? You're not, it's not about changing anything. It's just trusting the path, right? Trusting, trusting the journey. Because I'm happy where I am right now. Because I'm happy. So I don't need to, I don't need to change. Like I said, yeah, buy some Bitcoin. Like I wouldn't mind if I had a million dollars. That'd be cool. But I'm, ha- but I'm happy right now, right? So it's like, I don't want to change younger self, but I want younger self to know. I want him just to at least just know that he's okay. He's doing the right thing. Everything's going to be fine. He's got what he needs, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's awesome, Seth. So on the same vein, they're like, let's say we travel now in the future 10 years mm. and you get to see all the amazing things you've accomplished over these 10 years. Mm. And you get to sit with your older self now for a 15-minute meditation session even, or maybe it could be a mentoring session, and there's one thing you can bring back with you. What would that be? A piece of advice or anything, really? Oh, I don't, it depends on what he would say to me. It depends on, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's a tricky one, right? Because, well, what do you see yourself in 10 years, right? It's like kind of what are those things to put you on that path? Maybe- Honestly, I think I would want the same thing that I gave to my younger self. I would just want him to just put his hand on my shoulder and say, you're doing great. You're on the path. You're on the path. Don't worry. Just keep doing whatever you're going to do is the right thing. We're good. We're good. We're good. Keep going. It's fine. Yeah, I love that. that. Is there anything else before we end today? Because we've thought we've shared so much beautiful wisdom. Is there anything else you'd like to share with the audience? Any last parting gifts or wisdom that we haven't covered? Yeah, well, so... Please connect with me on Instagram, Seth Monk, my Instagram. And I have a Spotify channel with like 150 talks on meditation and emotional learning and all this stuff. So it's free. So just, you can just, it's out there. So please listen to it and just receive, you know. And on Spotify, it's under your name as well, right? Spotify, Seth Monk Meditation, I think it is. Yeah. And then, yeah. And, and honestly, I mean, 
I don't even know who's listening to this. I don't know what you guys are interested in, how much of this you found useful or helpful or how it speaks to you. But, you know, at the end of the day, everyone's on their own journey. You know, we're all perfect. We're all here with our own lessons. We're all here to help heal things from the past and our own lineages. You're exactly where you're supposed to be. So just take a moment, whoever you are, and just understand as, as messed up as your life might seem in whatever way, trust that you're exactly where you're supposed to be because that's where you are. And you are a unique expression. Every wave in the ocean looks different. You're built how you're built to look for whatever reason. You're, you're, you're created how you're supposed to be created. And it's all perfect. It is that way. So, so we don't need to fight against ourselves. We don't need to fight against who and how we are. Instead, it's about how can I love myself? How can I work with myself? What is my special gift to bring to this world? What is the special wisdom that I have because I'm different? Because I see the world in just this different way, because I've had just these different sets of experiences, how can I serve? What can I give? And if everybody on the earth had that little thought process, just said, what is it that is my, what is the thing that I have to give? What is the best quality thing that I can give to this planet, to other people? My God, imagine what this world would look like if everyone just, just gave, just didn't do anything differently in their whole lives, but just gave a little bit more of their magic to everyone around them. This place would be exploding with beauty. Yeah. Wow, wouldn't, wouldn't it be something? That's such an amazing message set. Wow. Give me goosebumps. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much. I cannot thank you enough. And I've, as I said, I've learned a lot. The audience is going to learn a whole lot as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And yeah. until next time. Thank you. Cool. Thank you. Thank you so much for being with us today. To find out more amazing content and episodes, please visit UnleashThyself.com or you can find us on social media.